Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the next podcast. And I'm really glad that you guys could join in today. I hope what you hear over the next few minutes adds some value to your life. And by the time this podcast is over, you can say, you know what? I feel better. I feel encouraged. I feel inspired. I feel challenged because I want you to get better. And I want you to keep growing into the next phase of who God has designed you to be. So today's a special day. We are going to finish this series we've been in for a while now called Stuff Jesus Said. And we started this series back before COVID-19 precautions started. And we are going to finish it today. Next week, we'll be moving on to other things. The plan is to continue the podcast um, as long as we are in quarantine. But um, we'll, we'll bring something new and fresh to you next week. But one more time, let's dive in and look at some stuff Jesus said about making disciples. Making disciples. You know, I've um, I've been listening to some Frank Sinatra on Spotify over the last couple of years. Not every day, not not a daily thing for me, but a few times a year, it's like I'll get locked into this Sinatra season and listen to Sinatra for a few days, and that kind of scratches the itch, and then I can move on to other things. You know, Sinatra's got some really good ones, right? The classics like My Way and New York, Mac the Knife, I've Got the World on the String, on a string. And I, I just, I really like some Sinatra every once in a while. It's relaxing, soothing. It's a different style of music for me. In 1967, Frank Sinatra and his daughter Nancy released a song entitled Something Stupid. And the refrain running through the song says, We've had this perfect evening, couldn't ask for anything better. Then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid. Like, I love you. Y'all ever say something stupid? Have you? Have you ever said something stupid? Boy, I have. Ooh, I've done some doozies. Probably the worst one. So I asked a lady one time when her baby was due, but she wasn't pregnant. Yep, I did it. And that's a mistake that most men only make once. And so far... I'm holding steady. At least this one time, I'm not an overachiever in this area. I've only only made that mistake once in my life. Never want to make it again. Awkward. Oh, man, I've said some stupid stuff. You know, this final saying of Jesus that we're going to look at today reminds me a little bit of that Frank Sinatra song in my own goofy mouth. And look, y'all don't get indignant like Jason's saying that Jesus is saying stupid stuff. Look, just hang with me. Y'all know I value Jesus and I value the word. Just let me explain. You might have heard me say this before, but context matters. And let's set a little bit of context here before we read our scripture. Jesus had just endured the cross. And he had just walked out of the grave. Sin and death were defeated. And this is like the greatest moment in creation so far. I mean, now, if you're going to throw a party... Now would be a great time to party. This would be it. And this perfect moment is made even better when, if you're a disciple, you find yourself on a mountain, right? And mountain, for all you churchy people out there, you know mountains are awesome. Mountains are great. If you're one of the 12 disciples, you love mountains. It was on a mountain that, that the disciples received the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5. It was on a mountain that Jesus appeared 
with Moses and Elijah and God spoke in an audible voice in Matthew 17. I mean, mountains are awesome. And now the disciples are back on a mountain and Jesus is risen and he's glorified. I mean, this has got the makings of a great party because maybe now Jesus is going to claim his kingdom and maybe now Jesus is going to rule the earth. You know, the past three years have been a little rough. You know, disciples didn't always have enough to eat and sometimes they didn't have anywhere to sleep. But I mean, it looks like things are really coming together here now. As disciples, they've been from the top to the bottom, everywhere in between. But now it's, it's really about to pay off. It's finally about to get good. It's what they've been waiting on. And, and this, this sense of expectation that they would have had would have only heightened whenever they hear Jesus say these words, because this is how he starts it. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Oh, oh man, this is it. This is it. Go, Jesus. Say it, Lord. You're about to take over. You're going to put the Romans in their place. You're going to give us places of, of rulership and authority. This is it. Here he comes. But then comes the Sinatra moment. And Jesus goes and spoils it all by saying something. I'm not going to say stupid, but I'm going to say something ridiculous. He said something ridiculous because this is what he says. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, let's look at this. Let's look at this Sinatra moment. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, it seems like Jesus is going to claim the kingdoms of the world. I mean, they've, they've think about it. They've come full circle now. We, what, what started out so meekly is, is now going to, to spread throughout the world. And he may have been born a baby in a manger in some no-name town, but now he's risen and he's God in flesh and he is king and he's going to rule, but not in an instant not with some magical wave of his now glorified hand, not just a simple, powerful shout of divine order and power. Uh-uh. Jesus got other plans. The kingdom of God, it seems, is going to be won inconveniently by the disciples of Jesus, who are going to have to take the trouble of going into the world and making more disciples of Jesus. How ridiculous is that? I want you to think about this for just a minute. This is the eternal God, creator of everything, robed in flesh, who could have done anything, planned anything, and said it, and it would have happened. It doesn't have to be the way that it is in Matthew 28. I mean, I'm pretty sure if Jesus wanted a bunch of disciples, he could have just done it himself with a single word. The nations are his. He has all power and authority. So why not just 
claim them. See, here's the thing. Instead of, of Coop being able to sit back and bask in the reflected glory of, of a risen Jesus, instead, Jesus brings me into the game and expects me to play a part in what he has planned. And it's not a bit part either. It's not just a little cameo. Going into all the world, that sounds like some pretty serious business to me. That sounds like a serious commitment. That's a major role. But once again, and one more time, I know that this is Jesus speaking. And so it's it's far from stupid and it's far from ridiculous. Just like every other time we've looked at stuff Jesus has said in this series, once again, these words of his are also going to prove to be life and sanity in a dead and insane world. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I want you to notice something. The command that Jesus gave to go and make disciples is framed within a very powerful promise. Because in verse 18, Jesus leads with, all authority has been given to me. And then in verse 20, Jesus finishes with, I am with you always. That's really important to recognize before we dig into this any deeper. Because whenever we feel disappointment or feel overwhelmed by expectations, we have a promise that the one who set us on this crazy mission to disciple the entire world, the one that, that, that put us on this path, he has all authority and he will always be there. That's a pretty awesome promise. Okay, so... It's apparent Jesus is not going to do this all by himself in one spectacular superhero-like moment. But all authority does belong to him, and his presence is an ironclad guarantee. So we do have that, at least. So let's dig into the command that Jesus gives here in Matthew 28. It really consists of two elements, go and disciple. So we'll, we'll look at both of those. And the means by which people are discipled are baptism and teaching. But we're going to take a little bit of time to unpack these today. So let's look at the first one, go. That's pretty simple. One word, two letters, single syllable, go. Simple, direct, unambiguous. Go means don't stay here. <laughs> it means don't hang around. It means don't put your feet up and relax. You have a mission to fulfill and it will only be done if you go. And as we sit around, you know, I don't know if you've been to Starbucks lately, but it's been a while since I've had a venti skinny double shot caramel macchiato. Um, we're going to have to rectify that situation. But as we sit around drinking our, our $12 coffees, we should be able to hear the voice of Jesus asking us, what part of go do you not understand? <laughs> Was I unclear whenever I told you to go? Which part are you not getting? The G or the O? Is, is, there, there's, there's something that you're missing here. Because this single, simple word, go, it gives meaning and clarity and purpose to our lives. You know, extending the kingdom of God is kind of a big deal. I can't play a direct role in what happened at the cross and what happened at Calvary. My blood won't do anything for anybody. The only person that my blood benefits is me, <laughs> and I need it, but nobody else does. There is nothing for me to give or actively do at the foot of the cross. I can't play a direct role in what happened at the tomb either. I can't raise anybody from the dead. 
I can't take away the power of sin and death. But the instruction that Jesus gives here in Matthew 28 to go, oh, well, that brings us all into play. Because now we're no longer just these passive beneficiaries of the cross and the resurrection. Go means we get to be a part of it all happening and coming together. We become collaborators with Christ in this this awesome kingdom expansion project that he's been planning since creation. It's the word go that brings us in. It's not just God at work anymore, but it's God at work in us and through us for the rest of humanity. You know, one consistent teaching found in the Bible is that God has designs on the whole of planet Earth. Think about it. That's why our story of God begins with creation and not with the story of Abraham. God's global ambitions are are written in from the very beginning. He told Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it. Not the garden, not one little area of the Middle East, not just, not just one continent. He said, fill and subdue the, the earth. Genesis 1.28. This is also interesting. You know, he told Abraham that the nations, plural, nations would be blessed because of him in Genesis 12 and 3. God then placed Israel in the promised land to be a light and a witness to all nations. And you can go all the way through the Bible to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, where you see this this countless gathering of people. Y'all have heard this before. Come on, say it with me. People from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language gathered around the throne. God's not interested in being some type of tribal deity to just one little small group of people. He has no desire at all to be restricted by borders. God wants the whole world. But how are the nations going to be reached? (laughs) Well, he gives us the plan in Matthew 28 by the people of God going. The command to go was written into the contract from the very beginning. So it really shouldn't be that much of a surprise to us. One last word about go and we'll move on. Jesus leads into this command to go with the word therefore. This is important. I want you to notice this. The command to go is attached to the previous statement by this word, therefore. He said, therefore, go. Jesus is connecting his command to go to his statement of all authority is given to me with this word, therefore. That's why we go and why we are able to go. We don't go on our own. There's a therefore. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. We don't go on our own. We're not under our own steam. We don't go in our own strength or ability or wisdom or talent. We go in the confidence of the one who has all authority and the power to sustain us and the one who has sent us. That's pretty cool. So the first part of it, go. The second part of it, disciple. 
That's, doesn't seem as simple as go. Eight letters, three syllables, a little bit harder. But it's really not that hard because Matthew chapter 4, verses 19 through 20 tells us what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who obeys the call of Jesus to follow him and gives up everything in order to do so. Pretty simple, right? A disciple is a disciple is a disciple. I mean, there is no other definition. You don't get different classes of disciples in Scripture. That's, that's like a man-made thing. You go to there's there's no alternate uh, definition for a disciple. There's no well, stay at home with your feet up disciple. There's no uh, go to church. I don't know once a week or once a month or once a year type of disciple. There's no I prefer to be on the golf course or in the woods hunting deer and turkey type of disciple. There's not a get back to me when I've finally gotten that promotion disciple. There's not a wait until my kids are grown and out of the house disciple. There's not a wait until my life is more settled type of disciple. Nexters, there is only one type of disciple, one kind. And that's the follow Jesus and give up everything for him kind of disciple. That's the only kind there is. The disciples Jesus was talking to, they understood that. And now he was telling them, I want you to go, and I want you to make more of those. Disciples make disciples, and I want you to make more. But how? Well, Jesus tells them, baptism and teaching. Baptism is a powerful thing. You know, it, it, baptism is the way in. Baptism is how you become a part of the people of God. It is a, it's a dramatic action on your part that tells a story. Baptism, it, it, it says, I am dying to a way of life. I'm dying to a culturally accepted set of values. I'm dying to this self-constructed identity that I've made for myself. And instead, I'm going to rise and be born into a new way of life, a radical, radically different set of values, and a divinely designed identity that's better than the one I tried to construct for myself. Baptism is about being born into the family of God. We talked about family a few weeks ago. It's the point of entry, baptism is. It's, it's the birthing pool into that family. We know there is a baptism of water, and we know that there is a baptism of spirit. The old man is buried in the water and resurrects into new life through the spirit. Come on, you doctrine hawks out there. You should be getting with me right now. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus replied to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the Spirit. Jesus thought baptism was pretty important. Now look, here's the deal. I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. If you're taking notes, Jesus likes it, but this is what you want to write down. Here it comes. Babies aren't born into families and then left. Did you hear what I said? Babies aren't born into families and then abandoned or left to their own devices 
are left to figure things out on their own. In a functional family, babies are nurtured and cared for and trained and prepared for development and growth into adulthood. Man, I am teaching so good right now. This is the second part of the discipleship plan. First, they've got to be born into the family. They've got to be brought into the kingdom. That's baptism. But now you've got to teach the babies. That's the second part of disciple making. And the primary influence on an infant or a toddler or a small child, the primary influence, it's not the doctor in the, in the delivery room. It's not the nurse in the delivery room. It's not the receptionist at the hospital. The primary influence on that infant is the family unit of which they are a part Because it's in that context where children are taught and learn values and priorities. So how is this teaching done? Well, think about how you do it with your own kids or how it was done with you whenever you were a child. Do you sit down with each one of your kids and you say, all right, son, number one, in situation X, Y, Z, you've always got to remember to do A, B, C, and don't forget to do G, F, and M and whatever else. No, you don't do that. Most of that teaching that you do with your kids or most of the teaching that was done with you whenever you were a child is done in a real life setting as situations just come up. They happen in conversations when you're out walking the dog or chasing the cat or washing the car. It's it, A lot of it happens in response to events when someone's messed up or misbehaved or made an error in judgment or there's a crisis of some sort. But in all of these situations, the teaching is up close and personal. It's a life-on-life life thing. It has to be. can't do it any other way. And the primary teaching and learning model is observation. That's why teachers are taught to model. I know a little bit about education. I've been in education for over 20 years. I've learned a few things. Teachers are taught to model. You don't tell, you show. Children see how their parents relate or react, and they learn from that. You teach them to obey by obeying yourself, or you teach them to disobey by disobeying yourself. Now, look, I'm not cracking on formal teaching times like we have on a Sunday morning in Sunday school whenever we're all together in next, or like we have right here with this podcast. But I do want to emphasize the need for us to bring teaching off of the platform or out of the Sunday school room or out of the podcast and embed it into life. That is the most effective teaching, life-embedded teaching. The Bible is central to our identity. And the best context for that central identification to be taught is in the setting of life and relationships. This is the second part of making disciples. They are born into the kingdom, born into the family through baptism. They are taught the values of the family through living together with the family. We don't abandon the babies. And that might be part of the problem. Together, That might be the part of the problem. Because it seems pretty clear to me that Jesus expected this mission to go and make disciples to be a group effort. He told the disciples, 
while they were together, go and make disciples. He didn't call them aside individually. Hey, Mark, let me talk to you over here for just a minute. Uh, listen, whenever it's a good time for you, Mark, I want you to go and make disciples. Uh, Peter, come over here. Let me talk to you for a minute. Look, once you get your life all straight and, and you're a little bit more secure in who you are, I want you to go off by yourself and make disciples. That didn't happen. He told them all of this together. You're born into a family. You learn within the family and you fulfill the mission as a family. And for some of us, that's the problem because we like to work alone. Gospel paratroopers working behind enemy lines, cut off from the main force with nothing but our wits and our Jesus ninja skills to see us through. For whatever reason, I don't know. That makes no sense to me. Maybe you want to be the hero. Maybe you don't want all of the hypocrites in the church to cramp your style. Maybe you got hurt somewhere before, and so it's better for you to just work alone. Look, I'm sorry, Ninja Gospel Commando person that you are, but that's just not how it works. You cannot deny the corporate dimension to the mission Jesus assigned. You cannot deny the corporate dimension to this mission that Jesus put us on. Because in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, Jesus, it says Jesus sent them out two by two together. On the day of Pentecost, they weren't praying alone. They were praying together. And they didn't immediately disperse either. They continued to meet in homes and, and, and meet in the temple. And they shared food and possessions. And they listened to the disciples' teaching. Now, after Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 8, and many of them were expelled from Jerusalem, then they got out and planted churches, but they seldom walked alone or worked alone. And I know for many of us, church is the problem. It's true. Sometimes church is the problem because for some of us, not for everybody, but for some of us, sometimes church just seems so formal and static and unchanging and 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 an institutionalized church has got the agility of an oil tanker man it's hard to make changes sometimes and churches where so many disciples are born into the kingdom they're born into the family but then it's like they fall into a coma rather than being developed and dispatched they just sit the simple fact of the matter is this church church is going to be what you make it because church is how Jesus planned it. Together. Family. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. As the custom of some is. Look, last point, and then we'll conclude. Go doesn't necessarily require moving. It doesn't necessarily mean you got to uproot your family, move to a different city. That's not necessarily what it means. It can. But Go can also mean to go into your neighborhood, to go to the mothers you meet at school functions, to go to the colleagues you meet at work. It can mean going to the fantasy football team you're a part of. It can mean from wherever you happen to be, go with your divorced husband or your divorced wife or your, your estranged children. Go. It can mean all of those things. It doesn't necessarily mean you got to move, but it always means you got to go. It always means take responsibility, get in the game, love the people you're surrounded with, be passionate about what Jesus has done in your life. Go. 
So let's wrap it up. Do I really wish Jesus hadn't said, go and make disciples? Of course not. Do I think, do I really think that something Jesus said is stupid or ridiculous? Of course not. It turns out that it wasn't a Sinatra moment after all. Because like every other statement of Jesus that we've looked at together over this series, I'm very glad he said what he did. And it wasn't just some stuff he spouted. He was serious about it and he meant it. He meant for us to live it out. And of course, each, each thing that we've looked at, each one, it just it completely turns my world upside down. But that only means that then my world is the right way up because his words are truth and they are the gateway to life. Every one of these sayings brings meaning and sanity into what would otherwise be a pointless and insane existence. Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords and the Almighty God. He is our King and our Lord. And my heart should hang on His every word, and so should yours. Even when His words are inconvenient, even the words that we kind of wish He hadn't said, because they prompt us to make a change. Because those are the words that we need the most. God bless you, Nexters. I hope to see you soon. I'm praying for you this week. Have a great one.